This is We Are Netflix, Netflix employees talking about work and life at Netflix. So the job when you're a content creative executive in Hollywood, in India, in the Middle East, is really, to me, always the same job, which is championing a vision of a writer and creating the best environment for that person to make this amazing show. I'm Lyle Troxell, and on this episode of We Are Netflix, a conversation with Bella Bajaria, Vice President of International Originals at Netflix. Bella and her team work with creative talent around the world to bring new Netflix TV shows to global audiences. Bella is well-known in the entertainment industry. She was a senior VP at CBS and then president of Universal Television before coming to Netflix in 2016. In today's podcast, we'll learn about Bella's life and career, how working at Netflix differs from traditional studios, and how Netflix is helping to bring great stories to life in regions like India, Africa, and the Middle East. She also describes what she looks for when hiring new team members. Bella spoke with Amir Moini, who leads employer branding at Netflix and also manages the We Are Netflix podcast. Bella, welcome. Thank you for joining the We Are Netflix podcast. Thank you for having me. So we would love to learn a little bit more just about you in general. Um, Where did you grow up and what led you into the world of entertainment? So I'm actually Indian, but born in London. My parents were actually born and raised in East Africa. So I lived in Zambia for a few years when I was little and moved to Los Angeles when I was nine. And really, it was the Indian immigrant American dream. We came here for a better life. My guess is my parents, my Indian parents would have rather me be a doctor for sure, but uh, I was the kid who wanted to be in entertainment, which seems like a crazy idea 23 years ago when I got into the business for an Indian woman to do that. Well, my dad is Iranian, and I think similar to a lot of parents who have immigrated, you know, they also wanted me to be either a doctor or a lawyer, so that's Yes, and being a mom of three kids, I get it more now when you look at your kids and go, well, there's stability and it's a professional job and that makes sense. And so um, I get it a little bit more being a parent myself now, but I pursued this, you know, career in entertainment really because I loved this idea of storytelling on a large scale. And I'm not a writer, director, or actor, and don't have any of those talents, but I really appreciate the craft of that. And I got into the entertainment business because I really thought it would be interesting to be able to be an advocate and champion stories in sort of a larger sense. And this was sort of the job to do that if you don't have one of those crafts that can actually make the show. When you were younger, did you kind of love entertainment or is there a particular show or movie that got you hooked into this idea of storytelling? No. So it's interesting. It's, you know, I always say that, you know, there's a lot of these people who've been in the entertainment business who had, you know, they were movie buffs or they watched everything or people talk about going home and just watching TV. And that was sort of, you know, comforting for them. You know, I didn't really have that. I had immigrant parents. We watched lots of different things and a lot of Bollywood things too in our house. And I didn't really have that, but I would go to the movies or sort of watch a show and really loved the impact of a story of that kind of scope or scale. And it was something that I was always interested in of telling a story on such a large scale. 
And so I was in the double matinee movie watcher that you hear some people who got in the business. Um, I really just liked this idea of how can I be a part of really actually telling such a big story to so many people? And yeah. What does that look like? That's funny. I'm like the polar opposite. I wanted to be a movie critic growing up. So I had one of those big movie guides and I would literally pick a page and watch every single movie on that page. Wow. I was the number one customer at Blockbuster three years in a row in my, in my hometown and they gave me like a plaque for it. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Then being a movie critic is no longer like a payable job. So (laughs) (laughs) So now I do this. That's Um, so great. So you had such a passion, right, for movies. And then obviously being able to sort of educate yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I'd love to hear kind of what was your first entry into entertainment and, and talk a little bit about your career up to this point. So I ran a nonprofit, actually, for kids in third world countries for a few years right out of college. And that was amazing. And that was really a great time in my life. But it's probably three years later that I said, you know, oh, okay, now I have to go start my career in entertainment, the one I thought I was going to do. And I wasn't really sure how to begin. Um Back then, the way to begin was there was a thing called the Hollywood Creative Directory, which was a printed like a Yellow Pages guy. And I wrote a letter asking for an informational meeting to 150 companies. I just wrote them to everybody, wow. movie, TV, production companies, everything. And I had written a letter to everybody, I think because at least my resume had a little bit of distinctive things of running a nonprofit and being in all these other countries, you know, that there was something that stood out. Out of all of those letters, I got two callbacks, basically. One was at CBS, and one was actually at TriStar Pictures. And CBS, I walked in, I did a general, and I met with a woman at the story department, and she said, you really want to do movies or features, but you're interested in TV too. We actually do TV movies, and we do 65 TV movies a year. Mm. And there's a woman who is looking to hire somebody, and she hasn't found anybody she liked in a year, but she's looking in the TV movie department if you want to try that. And that was my first job. So I went in and I interviewed with her several times, um, but that was my first job in the business was an assistant in the TV movie department at CBS. That's crazy that you know, out of the 150, two got back and like one of those kind of set you on this path to where you are now. That's yeah. really interesting. And it is interesting where your career goes because I got a call back kind of a month later from TriStar Pictures where I thought naturally, oh, if I want to do movies at that point, that would have been sort of the first step. But I was a month into CBS and just said, I just started here, right? Not cool to leave. And thank you so much. And then my career stayed in TV all this time. And it's been super fun because I watched TV get just so great in so many ways where movies took a dip and TV really became the place to be. Can you describe exactly what it is you do at Netflix? So now my job at Netflix, so since I've been here, I've had... Several different jobs. My first job when I first got here was to come in and start the unscripted division. And it was just really fun because I got to build the team and really start a new category of programming on Netflix. And so I did that for a couple of years. And, you know, we made a lot of fun shows like Nailed It and Queer Eye and so many, Marie Kondo and so many shows of so many different genres. And that was really fun. 
I also did the co-productions and co-licensing with major studios, which for me was a little bit closest to what I really, where I came from as far as being in a studio and making TV shows. So that was the second thing. And now I currently run IO, which is the non-English programming outside of the U.S., and that's including India exclusive of Asia, is that correct? Yes, okay. yes. So it's the world with India, but not Southeast Asia and Japan, Korea. So why is it that your role encompasses India, but exclusive of Asia? How did that organization come about? When I took over International Originals, Rob Roy was running Asia and Japan and Korea Right, really interesting markets, but I needed really, I think, a lot of focus in Southeast Asia, Japan, and Korea on that programming. I had, I mean, I'm Indian, but also had have a lot of relationships in the producing community in India. And so to sort of take on that team and really build it, I just had a lot of sort of already knowledge and expertise kind of in India. So that's why I have everything else and why India is sort of carved out from Asia. It just, Rob and I both decided it was the most effective way um, to get India sort of up and running. And then when you make decisions like that, is that something that you and Rob will just chat about and be like, okay, this is how it is? Or do you have to loop in other people or... Uh, pretty much Rob and I just say this is, looks like the best way for the business. And then we go to Ted and say, Hey, we're doing it this way because of this. And he usually says, okay, great. And by Ted, you mean Ted Sarandos, who's our chief content officer? Yes, I do. So I'm sure there's a lot of curiosity of what it's like to report into Ted Sarandos. Can you talk a little bit about your working relationship? Ted is actually a really great boss. He is equally strategic and forward thinking about the business, but he has this other side that is just so passionate and a genuine fan of film and TV and unscripted. Like it's amazing to me. He really has both sides. He's a fan of what we make and what other people make. And he has this amazing, great strategic brain and having sort of the blend of that is really interesting. He also, I have no idea how, watches every single thing you could ever imagine. That's impressive. It is. I just, <laughs> I can't even I do that. Can't, it's amazing to me. He, but he also genuinely does it as a fan, but he consumes a lot of film and TV. But he gives so much autonomy. He's always there, always keeps his one on ones that we have, you know, scheduled at, at that cadence, is always easy to reach and is really great about big picture strategy or big ideas that we're thinking of. But everything as far as like the run room to just do stuff and execute a vision and make things happen, he really is very supportive and always encourages us to take risks and chances. And he is really, um, it's been great working with him. That's why I love working here. I think everyone is so approachable and it doesn't matter if you're you know, a manager, a VP, a chief content officer, it's kind of just everyone. There's no ego there, which I think is really nice. Mm -hmm. And how large is your team at the moment, would you say? So we have creative teams that make content and we have offices in Amsterdam. We do all the programming for France, Germany, Italy, Middle East, Africa, so it covers so a, lot a lot and <laughs> India. And then we have all of LATAM or SPLATAM as we call it with Spain and then all the Latin American countries, right? So it's 
a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> it's a big team. <laughs> um, curious to know, being a creative content executive, what does your job actually entail when it comes to working with like original titles? How are you involved and how are you collaborating with the showrunners and talent, et cetera? So the job when you're a content creative executive in Hollywood, in India, in the Middle East, is really, to me, always the same job, which is championing a vision of a writer and creating the best environment for that person to make this amazing show. Like, that's the job in whatever country I'm in. You meet with a creator, you hear this great vision, and you just back it. And that really, you know, is is the job. It's strategically, you can help big picture as far as launch it in the right time or help in, in some big picture way, but it really is to create the best environment to make their show and to protect the vision of that show. Mm. Is there a project in the last couple of years, and not to play favorites, but that you're really proud of that was maybe um, something that was outside your comfort zone or what are you most proud of so far at Netflix? A couple of shows that I'm proud of, but I was very involved with even before I came to Netflix where, you know, I worked on at the studio Master of None and Kimmy Schmidt. So those are very near and dear to me. They were also the way that I had the relationship with Netflix to, you know, come over and work here. So those are very sort of my first real kind of Netflix kind of connection um, and two amazing shows with great creators. And, you know, when I look at I mean, launching our unscripted slate, that was out of my comfort zone in the sense that I had never done unscripted and to hire this amazing team and make more unscripted shows in one place than most places make all the way right together, you know, it's pretty extraordinary. And I do think, you know, there's shows, um, you know, when I look at Casa de Papel and, and coming out of Spain and how well that show traveled and that people loved it and it was fun and action and but still was sort of about something but in a really entertaining way that crossed so many borders. You know, I'm really proud of that. But I just think the slate is is so strong in all of these countries. So I don't know if I have favorites, but I do have a lot of shows I like at each country. Yeah. I mean, the work is, you can notice it. Like, even when it comes to Unscripted, it's just totally changed in the last few years. And like you said, you know, we're announcing a lot of new shows from like Italy and Spain, France, India. I'm curious to see how would our local content continue to evolve when looking at our competitors or local local programming in, in those other countries? So when you go into these countries, right, there's amazing talent, right? And there's great filmmakers, some countries very strong in filmmakers, some already have, you know, really good episodic television. And I think what we're really offering is, so when I look at it and say, if you're in a country and they love telenovelas or they their linear television has a lot of just fun, broad, soapy shows – we're not trying to counter that and just do something opposite of that. It's like we might do a version where we're saying, okay, but we're going to do it with in eight episodes or the or the storytelling has just more freedom in runtime of episodes or how many episodes. And we're also then offering that show on a global platform for everybody at the same time. And we're offering a creative experience, which hopefully has right a lot more creative freedom in that storytelling. So – 
when we go into a country, right, we do, we look at the slate and we do a breadth of shows, right? We will take a swing and do a big show in a genre that may not typically be done, right? In Germany, we did How to Sell Drugs Online, and that was young adult, and it was comedy. Those were things that weren't that much done sort of in in Germany, but it was this global platform, and people loved it in Germany and in other countries. So, you know, many times they'll go into country and really capture their great, right, filmmakers and do things that genres that obviously people have loved in that country, but also then take bigger swings and do different kinds of things. But really, it's the creative freedom in that storytelling and the platform that we're offering, which is, I think, different. Do you think a lot of the Netflix values, kind of what we're known for in our culture memo, there's a crossover when it comes to working with showrunners and writers and allowing their vision to kind of thrive? I think there is. So I talk to my teams a lot about You know, we talk a lot about creating this great environment for talent and not having a lot of layers or process. And that really, to me, can only happen if we have that ourselves. If you find this a really fun, collaborative place to work as an employee and you create that environment with each other, then it should be also a fun place for talent to come to work. Mm -hmm. And it's not either or. And I don't think it's, okay, let's just focus on making it great for talent. It's we have to make it great for talent internally at Netflix and the external talent. And so I do think those cultural values definitely apply to both. I actually want to take it back to when you were at Universal Television and CBS. Mm -hmm. How did working in those types of roles at at more traditional studios and networks compare to working at Netflix? What, What are the differences and how have you kind of grown or evolved in your time here? You know, CBS and NBC Universal are great companies and they have been making amazing content for a long time. And where I, because I actually come you know, raised sort of professionally in that world and then kind of crossing over into sort of streaming entertainment. I really love the blend of both and I really respect both sides a lot. And and that's also because when you think about Netflix, right, there was many shows in the beginning of Netflix that were licensed from all of those studios that made those shows. Yeah. And so that synergy of having all of these great shows from these creators made, you know, from other places that are also on Netflix, plus then sort of growing it with our original slate. I think, you know, what's interesting here is that people really own their own division and you can move quickly. I think there's two things for me that are the biggest difference. One is definitely the speed of decision making and how quickly you can sort of have a strategy and and evolve it and change it and execute it. And then the other thing is just really having the global platform. On the Hollywood side, right, you're making shows that really are for the U.S. and then you know they need to travel and you need to have international distribution for them. And so that matters on a financial success of a show in, in many ways. But here, what's interesting, you really are looking at the world at one time. And a lot of people do watch you know, global content, even if we make a show that is local to Spain, it's watched in many countries around the world. Yes. Uh, Was there anything, any of our culture values that was kind of an adjustment for you? Any growing pains when you were new to Netflix? Lunch being at 1130 besides instead of (laughs) one is a very unique tech thing. We do eat early. It is not a Hollywood thing. Um, When I first got here, I said, 
I can't eat lunch at 1130. I'll never <laughs> be hungry at 1130. And two weeks into it, like clockwork, 1125. And I was like, I'm hungry for lunch. How easily sort of you can adjust totally. to that. Um, you know, I think the adjustment for me was a little bit more about the external part of the job, which when you're at a studio, everything is sort of right. It's it's relationships externally. It's meetings with writers. There's a lot of external. And and Netflix, there's many stunning colleagues in a lot of internal groups, right? And you can do a lot of internal aligning mm-hmm. and internal meetings, which are really important to stay aligned. But for me, it was finding that balance of being able to do that, but without it feeling too insular. Mm. Making yeah. sure that I was still sort of connected to outside and connected to. That's why the co-productions and co with the co-licensing with the studios was great, right? Yeah. Partnering with other studios in that way, in that collaboration, keeping that open with sort of writers and external communi- and communication. So for me, the the shift was trying to figure out that balance mm-hmm. of being effective internally but not losing the external. Because in a creative job, the external relationship community part is very important yeah. too. Can you talk a little bit about the co-licensing model? So I noticed in the last few years that's dramatically shifted at Netflix. And, you know, you look at a show like Riverdale, for example, or even shows like you. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that idea came to fruition and, and the impact it can have? So Ted and I talked about it right when... So when he wanted to hire me, he wanted to move into this co-production, co-licensing model. Mm -hmm. So instead of licensing shows after the fact, right, which we have done for a long time, it was being able to do that when Studio Strict shows up to market, but it was also being able to go further upstream, make sure we got a global footprint outside of the U.S. first run. Because if you come in too late, a lot of studios have already distributed the show to certain countries. Mm. Then you're buying it a little scattered of what's left sometimes. And so this idea of how do we give most of our members the same great catalog of programming at all the same time instead of it being very patchwork. So this idea was to work with studios and go way upstream and say, hey, let's partner on the show and you have it first run U.S., we have it second run U.S. and first run in the rest of the world, but being able to do that early. So doing it on a script. So you, which is Greg Berlanti's The Warner Brothers Show, we loved the script. I called them and asked if we could do it. They had already sold it to Lifetime. And... So then I said, okay, then can I partner it with you early, right? Can I just – so you can have it on Lifetime and then we'll have it first run in the rest of the world. I really believed in that show. It was a great script. Greg Berlanti is an amazing showrunner. And so we ended up co-licensing it. And then when Lifetime canceled it, we flipped it to an original. So that was sort of an interesting model. But this idea was to partner earlier upstream. And so we had access to that show and a global platform. Do you envision that that will happen more similar to what we did with you? I don't I don't think it'll happen more because we did a fair share of it in the last few years. And I think we have acquired, you know, and we have some really great shows for our members um, through that. And when you're talking about Riverdale and and um, and obviously you uh, bodyguard, we also did that with. So I don't really think we'll do more of it, but I think it's interesting that it's a model that is out there. And again, I always love this thing right when Ted talks about 
right? We're always finding reasons to say yes, not to say no. And so having this much flexibility and creativity in a deal structure, it can be an original, it can be a licensed, it can be a co-pro, it can be a co-licensed. There's lots of ways to say yes and get the show. Because I had flexibility, when I really wanted to do the show you, it was already at lifetime. Like I couldn't get it, but I really believed our members would love it and that we should have it. And so luckily I had the flexibility in the business side to even say, okay, let's find a different model. Then you keep it domestically, right, on lifetime. We'll take it first run in trash. And it's so great because then we have the opportunity to pick up the show as an original in the second season. And that's what's so fun about Netflix. And there's not just one very traditional way or structural way that doesn't change. You really can evolve and you can find a way. If you want to show, there's a way to figure out how to get it. Mm. So do you think having kind of a distribution model where sometimes it's a Netflix original in certain territories and not in others, do you think that leads to like brand dilution at all where people are already confused about what titles are on what service? You know, I don't because I do think, you know, people go on Netflix. Sometimes you're going to go try to find a title that you've already heard about. And sometimes you're browsing or looking at, you know, the row that was suggested for you. So I think people are just trying to find really great shows that they connect with. And again, we've made a lot of inroads in the last few years to be able to offer really a very similar catalog in most of the shows with a global footprint. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely less kind of patchwork than it was before. Mm. So I don't think it does because I think people turn on Netflix, they have this world-class superior platform than anybody's for sure. And it's that ease of watching shows and watching, you know, and it depends on the mood you're in. Sometimes you want some comfort if you're just going to watch a show you've watched, you know, a lot of times before. Sometimes you're just discovering something. So I, I don't think it really does. I think people find very different kinds of shows and we have a wide breadth of things, obviously, that we do. So from a recruiting perspective, it'd be great to hear your thoughts on as we hire the next wave of content executives, what would you be looking for in those people? And what do you think would the needs have to be? So I think in hiring creative executives, you know, there's there's always for me, you know, several things, you know, that I look for. I don't do mopey. So that's the thing. What that is I it? Do. <laughs> mopey. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Like mopey people, oh, like okay. bummers, <laughs> negative yeah. energy. I'm Got not it. into that. I also think, because for me, the team dynamic and chemistry is really important. So when I always say, because of my Indian upbringing, I really have this village kind of mentality. This sort of community feel is very important to me. So when I look at people, you know, when I look at sort of expertise in an area, people who can really be a part of a team and be collaborative. And for me, the idea of just being curious about our shows, other people's shows, right? Really having sort of a passion kind of for writers and curiosity about the business is interesting. And I do think I always look for a little entrepreneurship because usually the divisions that I have, the jobs I've had have always been actually building or starting something. Mm -hmm. So every job I've done for the most part is about that. So for me, that's always a very important thing. And even if we were halfway through building something, that entrepreneurship is still important because we need to continue to 
build and evolve. And so that's sort of another quality that I really look for. I would say almost every role I've seen in Netflix requires some sort of entrepreneurial skill set because you own things from A to Z. So you do have to build things and create kind of like a smaller ecosystem within the larger. So yes. Uh, What are you most excited about in the upcoming years or, or what challenges are you trying to solve at the moment with kind of the work you're doing? What's exciting right now for me in international originals is that each country and certain markets are at a different stage of maturity, right? Latin America, we've been in for a long time, very successful. We're just further into it. The the market is more mature. But it's really fun to still see, right, Elite and Casa de Papel and some just big shows kind of break out that way. Totally. It's super fun to see Sintonia really sort of take hold in Brazil. So – I think there's been so many wins when you look at Europe and you look at um, dark or rain and we've had big significant shows that really had like people just such member joy in those countries. And that's really exciting. But what's really fun for me is looking at some of these more emerging markets. When you look at Middle East and Africa that we're getting into and India that we're Sacred Games is so loved right in India and the buzz and energy in the country around that title is exciting Mm -hmm. and the level of just production value and storytelling. So for me, what's really exciting now is to, again, all of those countries still have that entrepreneur building scrappiness. We're still building each of those slates and, and, and really in the market telling people who Netflix is, increasing brand love in those countries. So that's still kind of early days in a lot of those places. And that's really exciting. That's really great. It feels like it's like a scrappy startup within a larger company. And, And you know what's really interesting and fun to see just on a personal level is to go into each of these countries and embrace their culture and their cultural nuances. And I always talk about you can blend it with the Netflix culture, but it's not that sort of you need to have this American or Netflix culture go into these countries and sort of overpower it because there's amazing culture and filmmakers and talent in all of these countries. So it's really embracing and giving that talent in each country the platform to tell these stories and to do it in their own really authentic way. Mm -hmm. Because we're not trying to make a local show feel global. We are trying to make the most authentic, great version and vision of that story in that country by people, you know, in front of and behind the camera from that country in their own language and the cultural nuances and specificity of those shows. And that is like incredibly inspiring in so many ways. And especially when you go country to country and you just see this great storytelling and and all of these countries have so many great stories to tell. And even when I look at the shows I watch, some of my favorite shows are outside the U.S. And I don't think 10 years ago I would have had that opportunity to watch a local original show in Germany or, you know, like Elite is one of my favorite shows in Spain. And you get to kind of see elements of the culture baked into the storylines and you learn a lot. So I think that's really cool. I think it unifies us. Um, Can you give us a sneak peek on anything related to working with originals in Africa like any what's kind of on the horizon it's early days on that slate but I think what's been interesting is this idea of really wanting to do strong aspirational just like big fun content because I think many times people will pitch 
these hard kind of epic African stories. And the thing is, Africa is rich of so many great authors and storytellers with a wide breadth of types of shows to make. Mm -hmm. And I think... In many different countries. In many (laughs) different countries. And what's the show in South Africa? And then what's... right? A lot of great authors in Nigeria. Like, what is... And we just hired this fantastic woman, Dorothy Gatuba, who's actually from Kenya. And she's really interesting and really passionate about storytelling, but she came on to run our original slate for Africa. So it's really, it's just, it's early days on that slate, but it's really exciting. That's awesome. And last question, uh, what are you currently watching on Netflix? So I just watched, I know this is going to feel a little dated. I just watched Versace. It was Uh, so good. (laughs) I loved it. It was so good. Um, I kind of knew the story, but I didn't didn't know a lot of it when I watched. I was like, oh, this is I didn't know the story, and I really loved it. Um, I've been watching, I watched so many, like, cuts of things. (laughs) I'm just trying to figure out. (laughs) I just watched uh, Dead to Me. It's a great one. Yeah, which is really fun. I really liked that. And I liked the tone of the kind of dramedy feel. I think it, it overlaps so many genres in a way that kind of brought out different emotions and different phases. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Bella. I appreciate you coming on the We Are Netflix podcast. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. We Are Netflix is hosted by Lyle Troxel. He's a senior software engineer at Netflix. You can keep up with We Are Netflix on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. To learn more about careers at Netflix, go to jobs.netflix.com.